our world has been and continues to be full of injustice. In fact, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in all of human existence, starting with World War I and up to 20 million deaths, leading into World War II and Stalin and Hitler, up to 50 million deaths, and leading into China and Mao and the Great Leap Forward, which some historians say 45 million people died. We could go on and on about the 20th century, but injustice continues into the 21st century. Injustices like racism and poverty. Injustices like wars and murders and sexual trafficking. Injustice still exists in our world today. But I would argue that the greatest injustice the world has ever seen didn't happen in the 20th century or the 21st century. It happened in the first century to the one and only truly innocent man, Jesus of Nazareth. We hear about this injustice in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're going to focus on the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Luke chapter 23. We'll be starting in verse 13. But at this point in the story, Jesus has already been betrayed by one of his disciples and arrested. One of his best friends, Peter, one of his disciples, his closest three, has denied knowing him. And Jesus has been beaten and mocked, tried before Pilate, who said he wasn't guilty, then thrown over to Herod, who also said he wasn't guilty. And then they mocked him and clothed him in a robe and sent him back over to Pilate. And in our story today, we see there's this tug of war that's taking place between Pilate and the people, this injustice over what should happen to this innocent man. The text begins in verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people. And he said to them, You have brought me this man as one who is inciting people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. And so for the second time, Jesus uh, is tried before Pilate. And Pilate says, I find nothing deserving of death. But what does Jesus deserve. I want you to circle that in your Bibles. What does Jesus deserve? At this point in the story, there are some guys, some chief priests and the rulers, they are trying to kill Jesus. In fact, it tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 47, that these teachers of the law and the chief priests, they were trying to kill Jesus. In the next chapter, in verse 18, it says the teachers of the law and the chief priests, they were looking for a way to arrest Jesus. And then in verse 2 of chapter 22, the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. And so these leaders, 
They have been trying for three and a half years to find something against Jesus, something to make him guilty, and they cannot find anything. Jesus is not deserving of death. I once heard a pastor ask the question, how long would it take for someone to look at your life to see that you were guilty of something? Maybe just telling a lie. Maybe some hateful feelings towards someone that comes out in some hateful words, maybe some lustful thoughts that come out in lustful actions. How long would it take for somebody to look at your life and say that you were guilty of something? Would it take three years? A year? A month? A week? A day? Would it even take an hour? Or a minute? The truth is, every single one of us in here, we are guilty of something but not Jesus. And for three and a half years, these chief priests, they've been looking for something against Jesus and they can't find anything against him deserving of death. What they found is that Jesus heals, Jesus preaches, Jesus frees, but he's not guilty of anything. If anything, Jesus deserves fear. Jesus deserves admiration. Jesus deserves worship. Even Pilate and Herod know that Jesus does not deserve death, and yet the people, they want his blood. The story continues in verse 18. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. And so we are introduced to a new character in our story here, Barabbas. Barabbas means son of the father. Jesus is the son of the father. Do you catch the irony in this scene? They share the same name, and yet they couldn't be two more different characters. Barabbas is guilty, and Jesus is innocent. Barabbas misleads people, and Jesus brings people to the truth. Barabbas is a murderer, and Jesus is a healer. Barabbas is a criminal, and Jesus is a king. And yet, the people, they want Barabbas to go free instead of the innocent king, Jesus. But Pilate, he sees the injustice in this, and he he wants to release Jesus. Verse 20 tells us, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he said to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. I think Pilate is hoping maybe third time's the charm here. Surely after three times of telling these people that Jesus deserves nothing, that they'll change their mind. And yet they don't. The tug of war for Jesus is not quite over yet. 
but it's about to be. Because verse 23 tells us, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. The tug of war between the people and Pilate is over. The people have prevailed, and Jesus, the innocent king, will be crucified. As I've been reflecting on this text, there's something that terrifies me. Because if you look back at verse 13, it tells us the people who are here at the scene. The chief priests and the rulers, we know that they were after Jesus, but the people are there. Up to this point in the gospel of Luke, the people have always welcomed Jesus. The people have always received Jesus, but something changes here. The people want Jesus dead too. Verse 18 tells us that the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, away with this man. There wasn't a single person there who did not want Jesus dead. Verse 21, it tells us that they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 23, with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. Luke wants us to see that every single person there is guilty of the greatest injustice the world has ever seen. And he wants us to see ourselves in the crowd He wants us to see that the Roman rulers are guilty. That the Jewish rulers are guilty. That the Jewish people are guilty. And that we are guilty of the greatest injustice the world has ever seen. We have all turned our backs on the innocent Son of God. And the story concludes in verse 24 and 25, highlighting the injustice that has occurred. Verse 24 says, So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. He doesn't even name Barabbas. The murderer, the insurrectionist, the one who causes riots, the one they asked for, the one we asked for. And surrendered Jesus to their will. The innocent king is murdered so that the guilty Barabbas can go free. The murder of the innocent king provides freedom for the guilty. And we're left wondering who's in control of this story. Who's in control? Is it Pilate? Pilate is the Roman governor. After all, Pilate is the one who said three times that Jesus is innocent, and yet Pilate ends up bending to the will of the people. So are the people in control? The people are the one, after all, whose voices continue to escalate the scene to continue to cry out, take him away, take him away, crucify him, crucify him, and they get exactly what they want, the death of Jesus. But maybe, maybe the person who's got the power 
is the powerless one. Maybe the one who's in control is the one whose voice we haven't even heard in our story. Maybe Jesus, the innocent king, is in control. Because we have to remember Jesus knew what was going to happen. Three different times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells his disciples what's going to happen. The last time is in Luke chapter 18, verse 31 and 33. And there Jesus pulls his disciples aside and he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus knows that he has to die because only on the other side of death will there be a resurrection. And so, on that Good Friday, Jesus, the innocent king, allowed himself to be betrayed, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be spit on. Ultimately, Jesus, the innocent Son of God, was killed. The murder of the innocent king provides freedom for the guilty Barabbas. But it's not just Barabbas who gets to go free. It's you and me. The murder of the innocent king provides freedom for you and for me. Freedom from our sins. Freedom from our shame. Freedom from our pasts. The murder of the innocent king provides freedom for you and for me so that we can live. And that's what Good Friday is all about. And so at this time, we're going to transition to a time of communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you, whether you're here in person or online, to take communion with us. And as we think about the murder of the innocent king, we'll take the bread, which represents Christ's body that was murdered for us,